Good morning. It's my privilege to be able to bring God's Word to you, for here are words of life, words of comfort, words that transform our understanding and our lives. This morning we will be reading from the book of Hebrews, and we'll begin the first four verses, and there is plenty there to consider. And here then I read God's own words. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiancy of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. There are many things that are precious to us, and we begin sometimes at a very young age to have things that are precious to us. When we were driving once back from a trip and about seven hours ahead of us, one hour into the trip, our young daughter began to cry. And we said, well, give her her special blanket. It always quiets her down. I looked at my wife. She looked at me. She says, I thought you brought it. I said, I thought you brought it. We turned around and drove an hour back to get that special blanket so that we wouldn't hear crying the whole way home. And we think about things that are precious to us. It, it may have been, you know, a blanket or a stuffed animal. Or we get older, it might be that first bicycle or that first automobile that we have. And we think these things are treasures. They are precious to us. But we think back, and how many of us have that first blanket that we had as kids? They, they get relegated to something in the past, and we don't see the significance anymore. Well, the writer of Hebrews is dealing with a circumstance where something that was seen as precious is no longer treasured in the same way. Indeed, there is danger of, of some saying, was it really so special? For them it was the Lord Jesus Christ. They had come to faith in Jesus. They had put their trust in Him. They had a great and glorious hope. Yet as time went on, as there were difficulties, as there were dangers, some began to question, is this really worth it? And the writer wants to remind them, to challenge them, to set before them again the glory, the value, the worth of Jesus. Now, we don't know who wrote this epistle. Some think it was Paul, some think it was Apollos, some think it was Luke, and we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us, and that's not really relevant. We don't need to know that. We know that those to whom it was written were very familiar with the Old Testament. 
there are so many references to show that this Jesus who had come was the fulfillment of all the promises of God to his people. That they might recognize that the God who had spoken in the Old Testament was the one who spoke in Jesus Christ. And there was that occasion. We think of the song that we sometimes sing, and it has a question in it. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all honor and power and love and devotion? And the song answers, yes, he is worthy. But sometimes we can sing those words, but are they in our hearts? We want to look at that this morning, and we are reminded in these few verses that there is, as it were, this burst of the revelation of who Jesus is. To be reminded of his greatness, of his glory. And of what he did with his great power. As we begin, we see that first there was a reminder that God in past times spoke in diverse ways. That there was in the past God revealing himself, God speaking to his people. And he did that primarily through the prophets. And their word was truth. Their word was powerful. You think of somebody like Elijah who spoke and it didn't rain for three and a half years. That he spoke again and the rain came down and refreshed the earth again. We think of that power. Exercise the name of God. And God was the one who revealed his will to the prophets that they might share it with people of God. And there were various times, various ways in which they spoke. As God communicated, there were the needs of the people that he addressed through the prophets. Sometimes it was in scathing denunciations. As the people of God turned aside from worshiping the true and living God. And so we have a place such as Isaiah 1, verse 21, how the faithful city has become a harlot. It was full of justice, righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, your wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. Everyone loves bribes and follows after rewards. Here the prophets spoke and warned the people of God. There are other times when God reveals his heart to his people. Times when he showed his love for them. Hosea 11 verse 8. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? Cities destroyed by God. My heart churns within me. My sympathy is stirred. Here there is the remembrance of God who had set his affection, who had made his covenant with the people of Israel. And he spoke these words 
through the prophet, to remind them, to draw them back to himself. We think of how there were various ways, sometimes in public proclamations, sometimes in the Psalms that would be sung, that the people might have the words of God to speak back to him. Sometimes there were even letters, as Jeremiah wrote to those who were in exile. In all these ways, God was speaking to his people. He was revealing more and more of himself. He began even in the Garden of Eden, giving that promise to Adam and Eve that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And as the Old Testament progresses, we see more and more of that revelation of God speaking through the prophets words of truth that they might have their hope in God, that they might hear his promises, that they might look for the Messiah. And so all of the Old Testament is that preparation for the coming of the Messiah, of the Savior. And there is the dividing point in history. We see it even in our own calendar, whether it is before Christ or in the year of our Lord, B.C. or A.D. And that's what our text makes clear. In previous times, God spoke through the prophets, but in these last days, we are in those last days. Why? Because Jesus has come. Because He has spoken. Because He is that final word of God. The Old Testament looked forward to that and speaks of the latter days when the blessings of God would come upon His people. And we see that it is Jesus who initiates, who inaugurates that covenant community. That the kingdom comes with Him. And we do not yet see it in its fullness, but it has come. And therefore, it says that we are in the last days. That He has spoken to us by His Son. It was those to whom this letter is written, who had heard that word, who had Jesus set before them. And the writer here begins by reminding them of the scope and the nature of the glory of Jesus. That they might not lose heart that they may not begin to question, is he worthy? And therefore we see a sevenfold description of Jesus. Seven, a number of fullness in the Old Testament and the New Testament itself. And there is then the reminder of the greatness of Jesus. And we'll go through these as, as we have in a short few verses set forth the scope of the glory of Jesus. It begins by saying that God has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things. And here already we begin to see that there is a plan that God had, that Jesus is the heir of all things. And that was known from the Old Testament in Psalm 2 is one of those places that was understood to be 
a psalm about the coming Messiah. And there we read in verse 7, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have gotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, the uttermost ends of the earth for your possession. Here the writer reminds us that Jesus is the heir of all things. Here is the end. He receives the kingdom. He receives all the glory, all things that have been created. And it is not simply at a point in time, but we see how the Son is seen both as divine and human. For we go on, and what does he say next? Through whom he also created the world. Here is the power of the word. As John begins his gospel, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. All things were created through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Think of this power. Creating all things out of nothing. And this is affirmed of Jesus. He was not merely a good man, a good example. He was the one who created all things as the second person of the Trinity. That he is divine. Indeed, he is worthy. We think of other places in the Old Testament. Psalm 33, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all the hosts. And that word being Jesus. That we might see him in his divine glory. But this glory then is made known to us. It is the glory of God. We see he is the radiancy of the glory of God. And what does Scripture tell us? That God dwells in unapproachable light. We may look in the noonday and look at the sun and and we can only kind of glance at it and we see these black spots afterwards and, and we think the sun is nothing compared to the glory of God. Multiplied by a thousand, thousand times And we begin to get a grasp of the glory of God that shines forth, that overwhelms all things, that nothing is hidden from his light. And here we are reminded that the Lord Jesus Christ is the radiancy of the glory of God. And so here again we see the reflection of Jesus' divine nature and the the understanding of the Trinity, three persons in one, that there is that essential unity and yet the distinctions made in Scripture. And here is that blazing glory that shines forth so that John will testify We beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten 
This was their testimony. This is what the writer of the Hebrews reminds the people of. That this is who they came to. This is who was preached to them. The one who is the radiancy of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Not some vague similitude, but rather one who is that exact imprint. Perhaps you have taken wax before and melted it and pushed in something to make that imprint. And you take it out and you say, I know exactly what that ring looks like because I have seen the imprint of it. It is exact. And so it is that Jesus is that exact imprint of God the Father. Think of how Jesus claimed that for himself. When Thomas was confused in the upper room with Jesus and he said, show us the Father and it will be enough. And what does Jesus reply? Have I been with you so long? And you don't understand. He who has seen me has seen the Father. There is that essential unity. Do we want to know God? Do we want to see Him? We look to Jesus. Here is the exact imprint. To see His glory. To see His power. To see His nature. To see His character. We see it in Jesus. And his power continues. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. The universe, every atom of the earth, all the stars. Do you stop and marvel at that? You and I try to keep our houses, our lives, our cars in order, and we have trouble with that. All these things come up, you know, our, our kids or accidents or who knows what. And we say, oh, if only I could get my act together and keep everything in order. And here is Jesus upholding the whole universe by his power, by his wisdom. And we say, here is one who is worthy. Here is one who has power, authority, wisdom that I cannot begin to fathom. And we marvel. And yet, how is this power exercised? How is it exercised? After having made purification for sin, And we think, how much is included in that? The eternal, perfect, all-powerful Word, the second person of the Trinity, coming in our nature, that He might be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that He might be the fulfillment of every sacrifice that was made in the Old Testament, the reminder again and again and again, generation after generation, that there was sin and that there was a necessity of the shedding of blood if the people were to approach God, that they might be purified, acceptable in the sight of God. 
It is Jesus who made that purification. And the writer of Hebrews will unpack this. He'll spend a lot of time that we might again appreciate in, in greater measure how all of the Old Testament was the preparation to understand what Jesus did. I heard once somebody say, well, so what? Lots of men were crucified in Jesus' day. What made it so special? And the Old Testament is preparing, is helping us understand that when Jesus came, here was that central pivot of history. Here was God accomplishing His purpose. Here was God making purification for the sins of His people. And this is what Jesus did. Is He worthy? He is. He gave His own life, His own body, His own blood that we might be reconciled to God. And then the last aspect, the seventh, the reminder that he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. At the beginning, he begins with the one who is the heir of all things. And he ends with Jesus in heaven, at the place of preeminence, at the right hand of the Father. Yes, He was eternal God, sovereign over all, but as Jesus Christ, as the God-man, He is now exalted in the heavens. He rules over all. He has claimed all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. That He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. That He is exalted that is received all things. And we begin to see how there is here compressed a picture of Jesus that we might begin to appreciate again His majesty, His glory, His love. We may think of Jesus' work in the threefold offices that he exercised, that as the word of God, he was the prophet. He was the final word of God. And therefore, all prophets or claimed prophets after Jesus, whether they be Muhammad or Joseph Smith or whoever, are false. The final word has been spoken. Nothing needs to be added. God has revealed in Jesus Christ fully. And we look for nothing else. We think of Jesus in his office as priest. The priest offered sacrifices. But every one of their sacrifices was incomplete. It did not remove the sinful nature of people. And the high priest when he offered sacrifice, had to offer sacrifices for himself first and then for the people. But Jesus comes as the great high priest, offering himself once for all that there might be a purification, a holiness 
acceptable to a God who is so pure. The angels cannot look upon his face. But we may be called his children through our high priest. We think of Jesus in his office as king, upholding the universe, seated in heaven, reigning and glorious, accomplishing his purpose, gathering his people that he might have fellowship with them and that they might rule with him forever. This is a picture that we have of Jesus. Is he worthy? Yes. But we need to consider the claims of Jesus. He doesn't want you simply to say, yes, Jesus is great. Jesus is king. Jesus desires to be king in your heart. He desires your love, your affection, that he would rule in your heart. Have you submitted yourself to Jesus? Have you acknowledged that you need purification, that there is sin in your life that is an offense against God, so that you cannot have fellowship with Him? It is Jesus alone who is that way to God. He tells us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But it is he who says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus' claims are to every part of your life, your thoughts, your words, your deeds. He desires for you to love him with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. And those to whom this letter is written had lost sight of that in good measure. They were continuing to feel the effects of ridicule, of injustice against them, of the loss of property, of imprisonment. And when we begin to think of that, we see the blessings, the protections that we enjoy, we're thankful for that, but if you lost them, if people knew you were a Christian and would taunt you in the streets, and they would put signs in your front yard and say, here lives a Christian, what in the world is this? it will be that you're going to be excluded from all kinds of jobs. If you will be put in prison, if you openly testified of Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Then the question comes again, is he worthy? Of the difficulty, of the sufferings. Yes, when I followed Jesus and it was exciting and we were with a group of people and, and there were others who respected us, but now 
the increasing opposition and hardship. And the question come up, can come up after time, is he worthy? Is it worth it? This is why the writer says, remember who Jesus is. That following him may indeed mean that there is going to be affliction. That there is going to be hardship. But we need to remember that he is the king and throne in heaven. That he is the one who has made it possible for us to claim God as our father. And that he has promised he will never leave us or forsake us. And the momentary light affliction that the Apostle Paul talks about, who was beaten and shipwrecked and stoned, a momentary light affliction, he said, cannot be compared to the eternal weight of glory. Because it is Jesus who is that exact imprint of God who upholds the whole universe, who has given His life to purify His people. This is whom we trust. This is whom we say He is worthy not only when things are wonderful, but when things are difficult. Because He has promised that He will bring me to glory that He has enabled me to have that fellowship with the Father, that He has enabled me to receive the Holy Spirit, to understand the things of God, and therefore He is worthy. He is the one who has made this possible. And yes, there is still sin in the world. There is still suffering in the world because of sin, but we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And we wait for the revelation of Jesus from heaven. When we will see the fullness of his glory. When we will see God face to face. When we will be able to say, yes, still he is worthy. And through this book, we want to see how Jesus is set before us, greater than anything in this universe, greater than all the imaginations of men, greater than all opposition, greater than the powers and principalities in the heavens, and that he is the one who has loved his people, giving his life, that we might have life everlasting. Amen. Let us pray. Oh Lord, how we pray that we may see our Savior in His glory, that we may not have blinders upon our eyes, that we may not lose heart, but that as we are drawn again through Your Word, to the Word, Jesus, that we may see his glory, that we may see his love, that we may see his power, and that we may say, indeed, he is worthy of all honor and glory, and that he is ours because we have put our trust in him. We pray through his name.
Amen.